Man, so glad to have you guys here this morning. The brave in the cold, way to go. I, I don't know if you guys heard of our first service, but we had a morning. We had everything shut down from 7, 7.10, 7.30. Every system in the building shut down. And uh, they worked really hard to get everything back up. And so very thankful for our tech guys working behind the scenes and doing that. Yeah, you can clap for them. They deserve it. You only find out about tech guys when things go wrong, right? But uh, I'm telling you, we have some of the most gracious guys on that team, and uh, they work really well behind the scenes. They didn't freak out. They just did a great job this morning. So I'm so thankful for our, for our guys. Hey, listen, uh, we have been walking through or just started a new series on the better family. And so Mark calls up and is like, hey, you're on, because Travis is starting a church and stuff. And so there you go. Um, and so you get me this morning, and uh, we're going to talk about how to leave a, a better legacy uh, with our kids. Now, I know if you can, if you, your kids are a little bit older, if you can think back uh, to when kids first came on the scene, uh, life tended to change really rapidly. Like, there were changes that just started taking place as kids came onto the scene, especially as more kids then came on the scene, and potentially even more kids, depending on your family. But perspective, expectations, and standards also kind of changed in that process as well. Like, for example, you know, the first baby's coming along, and you pre-washed all the clothes, you color-coded them, you folded them really nicely, you put them in, you know, whatever you put them in. And second baby comes along, you check to make sure that the stains aren't that bad. You're hopeful that most of it's clean. Third baby comes along, you're like, stains are in. This is cool. Totally fine. Pacifier. First baby falls on the floor. You're like, oh, I gotta, you know, take that home. They can't have that. We'll do the new one, you know, boil this when we get home. Second baby, you squirt some juice on it. Third baby, they're lucky if you wipe it off, right, before you push it back in there. At home, First baby, you spend a ton of time gazing at that baby going, oh, that's so great. Second baby, you set a lot of time gazing at the first baby, hoping it's not squeezing the second baby too hard. Third baby, you find yourself hiding from the children every day, a little bit. We recently took out our baby books uh, for our kids. We were cleaning out the attic and we kind of found them. And what we found is our firstborn, Tegan, you know, there was every event was written down. There were pictures of everything. It was all kind of completely filled out. Camden, second kid in our family, there were some dates in there. We, you know, we notified some things. Ryland, only thing in there, name. <laughs> like, sorry, just didn't have time. Life changes fast. Babies arrive and your parenting style changes maybe from one child to the next. Think of the phases that they go through. That first phase, total dependence. And if you can recall back, it is physically exhausting. No sleep, uh, up all night. They can't do anything without you. That next stage, I, I think this is the most fun stage of all, but this is that one of where they get to see and watch and they start to soak up so much things. You get to see them kind of develop and recognize and their personalities start coming out. And then they enter and go through elementary school and you see nuggets of wisdom start to form in them from life experience. They interviewed some elementary kids and they asked them, hey, what advice would you give your younger sibling? And so Patrick, age 10, said this, never trust a dog to watch your food, which I thought personal, you know, learn from experience maybe. Michael said, when your dad is mad and he asks you, do I look stupid, don't answer him. <laughs> I, th I thought that was very, very wise. Michael had another one as well. He said, never tell your mom her diet's not working. 
I'd kind of like to meet Michael. It sounds like a very interesting... Naomi said, if you want a kitten, start out by asking for a horse and work your way down. Our, our kids figure us out. As they get, even as they're younger, they figure us out. They get to know us. Um, our kids, if you had interviewed them at the younger stages, they would tell you right away which parent they wake up in the middle of the night. Like Nicole wakes up gentle and like she pops out of bed nice. Like she's like, oh, hey, what's, what's up? Oh, what are you doing? Where I wake up angry, mean, confused, like, ah, ah, you know, ready to fight. And they're like, yeah, not that guy. There'd be times that my kids would tell me Nicole might've been gone and they walk in and we're like, it's not that important, right? Because I was a different kind of wake up. I traveled with uh, the, my two boys, Rylan and Camden, when they were younger, and we stopped at Starbucks. And Rylan asked, Dad, can I have hot chocolate? Before I could answer, Cam jumped in and went, Rylan, Mom's not here. This is Dad. Of course we can have hot chocolate. <laughs> they get to know us. They get to figure out, right? They move from that subtle wisdom stage to what some would refer to as the know-it-all stage. Where at age 16, every piece of information has been downloaded into their brain and they know everything better than you do. We still laugh with Tegan because during that time, it seems like she started every sentence out with, no dad, right? As she was correcting my worldview. They are under our roof, but they get to decide some things on their own and they're moving from childhood to young adults. And then as they become adults, we still have a role to play as advisor, as counselor, and hopefully as friend. But what's the goal? What are we shooting at? What are we hoping for for our kids? Is it that they get a job, become an active member of society, potentially get married? Uh, those are good goals. But I believe our first goal, our primary goal, or better goal for our kids is found in Deuteronomy 6. I want to take some time this morning and just dive into this text and pull out some principles that I believe that we could take home and kind of integrate into our lives as we seek to pass a legacy of faith down to the next generation. But here's what I know. In a room this size, uh, some of your kids have grown and gone. And some of them are making choices that align with your values and some of them are not. And I, I want you to know, I believe you can still be an influence and an encouragement to them. Some of you here don't have kids. I, I want you to know this passage was written to the community at large. In other words, we're all responsible for the next generation. And so as we talk, I want you to think through, hey man, how can I take these principles and invest into the life of our church here? But to do that, I'm just going to take a second and let's, let's pray and let's ask God to speak in our time. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had just to come and to worship together and to recognize that you are worthy. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our love, you're worthy of our dedication, you're worthy to follow. Lord, as we take a look at this passage, I ask that you just move me out of the way, that you would say the things that need to be said this morning, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would breathe life into us because of your word. Give us your perspective. It's in your name, Jesus. 
pray for these things. Amen. So Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. These two verses are the Shema. They're the basic statement of the Israelite faith. In fact, this command that we're about to read is the one that Jesus called the greatest command of all, the law. So verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now it's interesting if you look in Hebrew in this, the last letter of the first word and the last letter of the last word are raised above in the print. In other words, it's supposed to show the importance of this confession. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now this was a reminder to them as they crossed over into the land that God was giving them that they were to remember that the Lord was their God and that he was the one worthy of worshiping, that he was the one worthy of following, that he was the one worthy of giving their lives to. They were going to enter a new land that had different occupants in it, that had different gods. And God wanted to make sure, hey, when you go into this land, remember who I am and remember that I am worthy and that those other gods are not. They weren't to get distracted. And so the Shema is a reminder to us as well. There's only one God with power, only one God worth following. Verse 5 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. It's a way of commanding the people to love God completely, wholeheartedly, without any reservation. It includes emotion, intellect, and will. And so love here not only command, uh, contains elements of liking and affection, but of devotion and of commitment to God. Now, in Old Testament time, the heart generally refers to activities of the mind rather than emotions. And the soul kind of refers more to the emotions and then the might to physical strength. And so what you do. And so a better goal for our kids is to grow up to love the Lord their God with their minds, with their emotion, and with their strength. Now we put it this way around here. I'm a disciple of Christ, right? I am following Jesus in fact, that's the most important descriptor. I'm a disciple of Christ who cleverly disguised as, well, a pastor. You might be a disciple of Christ cleverly disguised as a teacher or a disciple of Christ cleverly disguised as a doctor or fill in your vocation, but the importance is the, the beginning of that, that you are a follower of Jesus. So how do I do that? How do I see that happen in the life of my kids? I think God gives us a few principles in the next couple, couple verses here. And what I want you to do as we talk through these, I'm going to give you some questions with each principle. I'd like you to just set aside some time this afternoon at lunch or by yourself and just walk through these questions and see maybe how you add or subtract some of these things to your life. What do I need to change? What do I need to add so that these principles have an opportunity to grow in my life? Uh, principle number one is pretty simple. We as parents need to live our faith. We as parents need to live our faith. Verse six, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Remember in the psychology of the Old Testament, the heart was not the center of emotional life, but more intellect or the rational side. In other words, they are to be remembered and taken to heart. They are to be lived out. Another way of putting this is before you can give away faith, you gotta have it. You have to have it. And so here's the question. What is your relationship with Jesus like? Are you pursuing him with your heart? 
I'm not asking if you're perfect. I'm asking if you're running after Jesus. You know, uh, I've been working with the college and career students for a while, and we just started meeting out here um, on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock underneath the lid. And we've been reading through 1 Samuel, and now we're into 2 Samuel. And so we've been reading a lot about David, who is known as a guy who had a heart after God, right? A man uh, with uh, a heart after the Lord. And what we've been discovering as we've been reading is he was far from perfect. He had a lot of missteps. He had a lot of choosing not God in certain areas, and yet he was willing to be corrected and willing to be turned back to the Lord. You know who the people are who you can't fool about your walk with Jesus? Your kids. They see you all the time, not just on your best behavior. I can remember driving uh, my car down Bloomingdale and I was in the left lane and uh, my kids kind of know me as an impatient driver, guilty, and I was in the left lane and they were not going the speed limit and so I got a little kind of, okay, I'm going to go in the right lane, so I shifted into the right lane and the only one in the car with me at the time was Rylan and he was working on some snack in his little seat in the back there and, and I'm whipping down Bloomingdale, I hit the speed limit and I'm coming up to where this eye doctor place is, which is ironic because the person pulling out of there didn't see me and pulled right in front of me and so I slammed on the brake and his, his snack, go, I could hear it hit the back seat of the car, right? And I heard this growl like, oh, you jerk! And I thought to myself, man, I need to slow down the amount of times he rides with Nicole. <laughs> no, I looked back and I was like, oh, that is a mirror of me. That is me, right? I was like, oof. Our kids reflect us. Here's a good test of how you're doing with this. Have someone interview your kids about your faith, about your love for Jesus. What would they say? Sometimes we get to this point and we ask the question, well, okay, great, I need, to, I need to grow in my faith. How do I do that? How do I move towards walking in harmony with Jesus? I would encourage you to get some other believers in your life who are also pursuing Jesus, who are running after him. I know I just mentioned group link in the beginning, but I'm going to tell you in the 17 years here, the most uh, influential moments in my family's lives are the times that Nicole and I sat in a circle, knee to knee with other people, and hearing their issues of uh, where they were walking with kids and where we were, and being able to commiserate some, but encourage others, right? And talk about, oh man, this is what I was doing with my kid. This is what I was doing. Oh, this is great. Those are the times that transformed our lives and encouraged us. And if you are not in one of those groups, man, I would encourage you, jump into a men's group or a women's group or a couple's group so that you can keep learning and growing. If you're a newer believer, find someone, an older believer, to, to jump in and invite into your life and ask them to mentor you. Around here we call it discipleship, right? Where they help you uh, walk towards Jesus, I would encourage you, if your kids are a little bit older, have an honest conversation about where you're at and where you hope to be. Be, be transparent with them. Because think about it. You're not modeling perfection. And can I just be honest with you as a pastor? This is one of the areas that I really struggled with. Because you look at my kids and I, you know, I want them to be looking really well so that it reflects on me. But the truth is I'm not modeling perfection because I'm not perfect. I'm modeling grace. 
because it's, it's God's grace that has transformed our lives. In fact, if you were to read the rest of this chapter, you would see that God's grace towards Israel is all over it. By grace, he led them out of Egypt. By grace, he persevered them in the wilderness. By grace, he was leading them into the promised land. And because of that grace, he said, listen, now, because of that grace, follow me, run after me. So here's the simple discussion question at lunch. Am I following Jesus with my heart? Or am I just pretending? Am I following Jesus with my heart, or am I just pretending? Our kids watch what we model for them. The second principle is this one. We as parents need to talk about our faith. We need to talk about our faith with our kids. Verse 7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. There's a repetition towards this. It's not just one scheduled out moment. uh, When our kids were younger, we lived in Dallas, and I was a youth pastor there, so I would show up early for service and get ready for the kids to come, and then Nicole would bring the three kids on her own. And they were one, two, and five. And it was a cold day kind of like this. She was walking up, and none of the kids wanted to be there. All of them wanted to be held, even the five-year-old. And she's dragging these kids into this, you know, and they're screaming and crying. And she's walking into church, and this very well-meaning, nicer, older lady looked at us, oh, cherish these moments. And as she got home later, she was like, I'll tell her what to cherish, right? I mean, she was not having any of it. But her point, well-meaning and misguided, was life moves pretty fast. It disappears before you know it. The time that you have is gone before you know it. I'm looking out in this crowd and I see a lot of you whose kids are my age and it seemed like yesterday we were talking about elementary school and now they're gone. They're out of the house. From birth to the time when they hit 18 and they said maybe go off to college, it's around 936 weeks. That goes pretty fast. In fact, if you uh, came into my office back when my kids were in elementary school and you uh, walked and looked behind my desk, there was a shelf up there and it had three uh, vases in it and those vases were stones. It was a stone for each one of those weeks. And so I had a picture of Tegan and then her vase right there and then I had a picture of Camden, his vase right there and a picture of Ryland and his vase right there. And every time I walked in, it reminded me I have a limited amount of time with my children. Get my work done, work hard, have fun here, but work hard and get out on time so that I can be with them, I can interact with them, I can be the one that drives them to events, I can cheer them on with the things that they're interested in, I can get in their way and have the conversations with them. As that uh, rock got smaller and smaller and then all of a sudden disappeared out of one of the jars and then a little bit later out of the second one, the third one sat in my office and goes, hey dad, how many rocks I got left? I'm almost out, right? I was like... Yes. You know that moment? When they, we were all emptied out, I, I, couldn't, I kept look, coming in and looking at these empty vases, and I was like, okay, i got to rearrange my office. And so I got rid of the vases, I got rid of the shelf, and I had thrown the vases in the trash can. I came in the next morning, and all three vases were on my desk. And I was like, okay, who's pranking me? What's happening? I had thrown them out in the big trash can and ran into our cleaning guy. He's like, listen, someone threw these out, and I know how important they are to you. So I, I put them on your desk, and I'm like, no, 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 no. We're done with that now. <laughs> it's over. 
Look at, the, look at the, look what he says. When you sit down during times at home, when you walk by the way as you travel, uh, one of the things I would encourage you, uh, if you travel with your kids, if they're in the car as you drive, take some time and maybe for an hour during that trip, turn off all electronics. Whoa. Turn them off and just starting asking them questions about the things that they like, what they're interested in, um, get to know them. Ask them open-ended questions. You will learn a ton about what they're processing. When you lie down, as you go to bed, when you rise during your morning routine, talk about God's goodness. Talk about his goodness. Also, tell your story. Tell your story to them. Look at verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. They were to tell their story. They were to recount what God did in that. If you were to talk to any one of my children, they would probably tell you a scooter accident story about me. Uh, because that is a, the, the moment that God used to kind of veer me towards ministry. Because of that scooter accident, I met their mom. And so they know that story because I've told them of God's goodness and direction in that story in a hard moment. Tell your story. Ask them about their story. Ask them about their story. Spend some time listening without correcting as they process Ask good follow-up questions, ones that can't be answered with the word fine. Listen, there's going to be some things that compete with this time. There's going to be some things that naturally you're going to want to do instead of this time. Phones come out, right? TV, computer, answering an important email from work, video games, podcasts, whatever. Make sure you are protecting that time. For us, what it looked like is no electronics at the dinner table, no phones, everything's down because we're going to actually face-to-face have good conversation. There's always this question of quantity versus quality. I would tell you, you need both. You can't schedule quality. Some of the best times were the unscheduled times where there were questions being asked. When my kids were younger, I tried my best to be at the things that they were involved in and what they were interested in. Remember, Moses is talking to the whole community here, not just the parents. As they get older, you will need other influences in their lives that are saying the same message that you are. And I am deeply thankful to Miriam, Mel, Wendy, Franny, Jill, Titus, Larry, Ricky, Jerry, Mike, Stephen, Shane and Brian, and more who have invested in my three kids over their time here at Baylife. What I love is as my kids have gotten older, sometimes they just go to them for for answers. And I love that because I know the godly wisdom that those folks are going to give them. Get your kids involved with other adults that love the Lord. Those of you with older kids... I would encourage you, invite them to dinner. Invite them to coffee. Hear about their lives. Ask, what can I be praying for? 
Influence doesn't have to stop after high school or college. When you meet with your older kids, especially those that are making choices that you wish were different, remember Remember this verse. I'm back. I'm back. Proverbs 16:24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. If you find yourself with older kids and you're kind of in that stage where they're not making the same value choices as, as you would like, there's a book I ran across recently that I just want to recommend to you. It's by an author named Jim Burns. It's called Doing Life with Your Adult Children. The subtitle is Keeping Your Mouth Shut and Your Welcome Mat Open. Or Your Welcome Mat Out. Uh, it's got some really good insight. At lunch today, just ask this question. How am I doing at making time for my kids? How am I doing at making time for my kids? Principle number three. We as parents need to display our faith. Need to display our faith. Verse eight says this. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as fauntlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and of your gates. This command was later kept by writing scripture on pieces of parchment and then placing them in small leather pouches. They would put them either on their forehead or on their forearm. These fauntlets, which means band or ornament, had a parallel meaning to sign. So it was basically the sign and the symbol or the public display that that I was following the Lord. We have a sign up, uh, we have some different things up in our house that point to scripture or point to Jesus, but we have one up that's in, at the front door. Now, it's not a particularly beautiful sign, but it has incredible significance to us. And the sign basically just says, be still and know that I am. Uh, that sign used to hang in my parents' house. And so as a high school student, sometimes when I was home alone, I walk and talk and process sometimes out loud. And so I'd be walking back and forth. And I remember just being angry about a situation or wondering about God. And I'd walk back and forth and I would stop in front of this sign. And, and as I do, I, I would read everything that was up in my parents' house, even though I already knew what it was going to say. But for me, this sign spoke into my life in so many moments that uh, when my parents moved out of their house and, and my mom moved into assisted living, uh, it was one of the things that I grabbed out of the house and it now sits at our front door. So our kids, when they walk out the door, they, have to, they read that each time. It's right by the light switch. At lunch today, here's the question. If someone were to come into my home and I wasn't there, could they tell I was a believer in Jesus? Would there be anything in your home that points to Jesus? Principle number four, and the last one, we need, as parents need to pray for them. We need to pray for them. I'm not going to make prayer fit into this passage in Deuteronomy. I just know, I just know that I know that prayer is crucial because we can't do this on our own power. We need to be on our knees before the Lord for our kids. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Philippians 4 Four six says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Pray for them. Pray with them. Listen to them pray. And pray for them some more. I grew up in a home where my mom and dad loved Jesus. 
There were six of us. Uh, my mom had five kids in six years. Whoa. Nine years later, I came along. It was like two different families almost, right? But when I went off to school, three of us were following Jesus. But I've watched over the years as my mom and dad put these principles into play. And what I will tell you, it is not an A plus B equals C equation, but it is the environment for growth to happen. Because at the end of the day, kids become adults and adults have to make their choice. But I can tell you this, they lived out their love for Jesus. If you ask any of the six of us, my parents loved Jesus. They weren't perfect, but they pursued him with, his heart, with their heart. I can tell you my parents talked and talked and talked and talked about Jesus. They would tell of his goodness. They would tell their story. They would tell our story to their grandkids. It was not uncommon for, to hear my mom say, isn't God so good to give you that? Isn't it great that he won't leave you or forsake you? They displayed verses and pictures around the house that clearly told of God's goodness. And they prayed constantly for us. In fact, towards the end of my life, my mom told, or her life, my mom told me, now I'm really focusing on praying for my grandkids. One of the three that walked away was my sister. Her name's Pam. We call her camp counselor uh, in our house because she's the one who's always putting the party together, uh, setting everything up. And as she got married to her husband, his name is Scott, uh, they mocked church. They made fun of it. Uh, they called it the big house. It wasn't Michigan football, had nothing to do with that, but uh, we went to a, a rather large church and they were like, yeah, I was at the big house today. It was really kind of awkward. I thought I was going to get some lightning bolts because they knew they you know, weren't living at all for the Lord. Uh, if I saw them on a Sunday afternoon, they're like, how was your time at the big house? They would just constantly mock it. 20 years later, at my aunt's funeral, my nephew, her son, said to her this, who is that man and why is he on a cross? And for her, that just kind of struck deep and reminded her of growing up. And so she started to go to a different church up in the Chicagoland area. She didn't want my parents to know. She didn't want them to say anything. Uh, she didn't want my other brothers and sisters to know. But she let me know because I wasn't in Chicago. She worked at a health clinic, which happened to have two Christian doctors who ran it. And she thought they were really cool until she found out they were Christians. And I was like, oh. and She found it a little confusing that they were so fun. I remember she called me one day ticked off because of a sermon about being a lukewarm Christian. And she said, I want a new church where I don't have to be all in, where I can just greet people, say hi, sit in the back, Sundays only, not all my life. Like, would your church ever preach something like that? And I was like, uh, yeah, totally. She goes, well, I still, I still got questions. She said, when I get back, I'm going to go on a trip, and when I get back, I'm going to find a new church. She hopped on a plane at, at O'Hare bound for Phoenix. She had the middle seat assigned to her. Someone walked down the aisle and said, hey, I think, I'm, I think I'm in that window. And she looked up and she was like, oh, man, it's the pastor of the church she started attending here for the last five weeks. She got up, she slid out, and he looked at her and he goes, hey, you've been sitting in the back of my church for six weeks. Yeah. Sat down and, and she got angry. She was like, okay, fine. Fine. 
I'm going to fire away. And she just started asking question after question after question to this guy, like in an angry tone, right? Here's what God did. <laughs> they backed out and then they had some mechanical issues. So they sat in that plane for three hours before they took off. <laughs> right? And she, she said, I felt bad for the people next to me because here I am just attacking this guy. And what we found out later is his first spiritual gift was evangelism. So he's like, this is so great. She can't go anywhere. And she asked every question she could. And before she landed in Phoenix, she had given her life to Jesus. <laughs> Prayer matters. She went back and she started to work on her husband. Uh, she was on staff at that church for a while as the outreach coordinator, which fit her camp counselor background. Years ago, I went up and did her uh, daughter's wedding. And uh, it was such a treat at the rehearsal dinner to watch one of the pastors stand up and talk about uh, my sister had beat breast, breast cancer and talk about her husband, who he described as Jesus in flesh for her. Right before... COVID 2019, I went up to Chicago and I, uh, I did my brother-in-law's funeral. He had uh, lost his struggle with esophageal cancer. And his son, my nephew, the one who was like, who's that guy? Said, hey, dad gathered us around and said, I know where I'm going. Don't worry about me. I know where I'm going to be. But I need to know that you're going to be there too. Listen, only God makes a turnaround like that. Now, I know I told that story in like three minutes, but that's 20 years. 20 years wondering will they ever turn? Will they ever turn? It would have been easy to give up hope when she was 26. And if you're there with your kids, man, my encouragement to you is don't, don't give up hope. Keep living it. Keep talking about it. Keep displaying it. And keep praying for them. Let me close in prayer. Father God, we know that you are worthy. You are worthy of our love and our devotion. You are worthy to be followed. You are a good and gracious God. Lord, I know in a room this size, there are some of us just starting out on this journey of raising kids. And it can feel just so overwhelming. I pray that you would just encourage them today. I pray that you would give them the boldness to jump into a group where there are other people walking this journey with them that can encourage them on, on the way. Father, I know that there are those of us with older kids 
And some are making choices that which just thrill our hearts and others are making choices that are just so hard to watch. Lord, would you just encourage us today? Give us a vision to see them like you see them. Give us the ability to pursue them and make that call one more time, to invite them and to listen. Lord, we love you and we trust you with our children. It's in your name, Jesus. Pray these things. Amen.